Everybody else can turn to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be in verses 16 through 26. As we come to the end of of chapter 5 in Galatians, coming very, very quickly to the end of the book of Galatians. Uh, But Galatians chapter 5, follow along with me as I read in, in your Bibles or on page 12 of our worship guide this morning. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep, from, keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like those. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in the the neighborhood in which I I grew up, there was one spot on the sidewalk where apparently this acorn had kind of fallen down uh, underneath the sidewalk and somehow, against all odds and all probability, decided to sprout and to grow up into a tree. And gradually, over time, this tiny acorn grew up and pushed its way through this crack in the sidewalk and grew into this sizable oak tree. And the hard concrete of of the sidewalk itself was just obliterated. It gave way as this oak tree gradually over time expanded and the trunk of the tree pushed the concrete to the side and up so that it was this actually great place where we used to jump our bikes over the this hump in the, the sidewalk. But it completely destroyed the sidewalk. The, the oak tree won. The sidewalk lost, Right. The gradual, inevitable power of the life inside that acorn was enough to, to undo, to defeat the, this heavy, stubborn, seemingly immovable concrete. And, and Paul talks about this. He talks about this opposition between the flesh and the spirit that's, that's taking place inside believers. Verse 17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. 
for these are opposed to each other. He's, he's describing this battle that's taking place inside us between this, our old sinful nature and this, this new life of renewal and grace. He's describing the battle that takes place between the oak tree and the sidewalk. Ephesians 4.22 and following says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The, the desires of the flesh that Paul talks about, they can seem like that those immovable things, those sins which are so stubborn in our own hearts, which we, we deeply and, and dearly wish that we could be rid of once and for all, but, but we find returning over and over again, right? These desires of the flesh can seem impenetrable and immovable and stubborn, right? And literally that word, desires of the flesh, is, is actually over-desire. This over, these over-desires, these lusts, these controlling desires that, that seem to take over in our hearts and our minds. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story, is it? Thankfully, we have the, the Holy Spirit who is, who is now living and working within us to produce something that is opposed to these over-desires. Paul is telling the Galatians that in their freedom from the law, they are, are called to walk then in step with the Spirit and to do battle empowered by the Spirit with this old self, this old sin nature that is still a reality in our lives. The Spirit fights against sin not merely in defense, but also in offense. Also an attack by producing Christians in Christians the positive attributes of a godly character. The Westminster Shorter Catechism des- describes sanctification, which is the process of becoming more like Jesus, this way. It says, sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. John Calvin said, the death of the flesh is the life of the Spirit. So let's look at just two points this morning. What does walking in step with the Spirit mean? What does it mean to walk in step with the Spirit? It means dying to sin and living to righteousness. The technical kind of theological words for that would be mortification and vivification. Right? Dying to sin, mortification, and living to righteousness vivification. But let's look first at what what does it look like to die to sin? What does walking in step with the Spirit means? It means dying to our sin. Verses 16 and 18, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This is a, this is a military term, this walking in step with the Spirit. This is a military picture that Paul is painting here for the people of Galatia, right? That, that in, in, in military formations, when you learn how to march as a soldier, you, you first, you just, you line up in ranks and files, right? 
And then you learn to keep the good discipline of walking in ranks and files together, and you have one thing to worry about. Keeping in step with the person in front of you and the person next to you. You don't have to worry about where you're going. You don't have to worry about how long it will take for you to get there. You don't have to worry about how much further you have to go. Your your commander will give you all of the orders that you need for the successful navigation of whatever route you're on, but all you do is worry about the person in front of you and the person next to you walking in step with one another. And the Holy Spirit is, is kind of like that. His job is to, to keep us in line, and He, he barks out the cadence as as we walk along, and, and all we have to do is keep in step with His commandments. Verse 25 says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, meaning stay in formation. That there's a, there's a safe path along which we are called as God's people to walk, and the Holy Spirit of God, through His Word and through uh, the, the Scriptures, shows us the way that we're to go. But this, this is a battle. I say all we have to do, right? It's, it's hard. <laughs> that is not an, an easy thing to do. Verse 24 says, Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We are, we are called to participate in this battle. This is not a passive activity that Christians are called to to have happen to them. We must keep alert against the lure of sin. And so Paul gives us this list, although he says the works of the flesh are evident, right? And these vice lists are are common really in the New Testament. They're really common all over in the writings of the time and other writings of the time. But here it is, verses 19 and 20 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, Paul says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the the kingdom of God. I mean, these are... These are external sins, right? But they're also internal sins. And the the temptation as we hear that list of of vices that Paul gives to us is to project that list outside of ourselves and outside of the church and to look at that list as a, a list of all the things that are wrong with our secular culture and the way the secular culture is 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 degrading rapidly. And and certainly there's truth in there, but this list is pointed at your heart. This list is pointed at my heart. And so it's very important that we resist that temptation to see this list in terms purely of what's wrong with the world out there. But rather, Paul is calling us to apply this filter and this list and do the examination of our own hearts before the Lord. Sins of the body, mind, soul, and heart. Sensuality, this indecency of lack of respect for what is right and good. Sorcery, it could be confusing to us. The word there is where we get our word for pharmacist. Um, make note, draw, I did not make any inference there, but 
but often those who practice witchcraft and magic, not that pharmacy is witchcraft and magic, but um, created potions and poisons. They were, they were deeply embedded and ingrained in the culture of death of the time. This word orgies can be distracting to us, but not only the orgies like you might be thinking of, but just any overconsumption, right? Any, any sort of gluttony or drunkenness or lack of temperance in consumption. So there's sins of the bodies, there's sins of relationship, enmity, any form of hatred which, which includes political, racial, religious, uh, hostility, whether it's public or private. Jealousy, the, the zeal for the wrong things or the wrong kind of zeal for good things. Jealousy often leads to division. Envy, hatred of others' successes. Paul says these are self-evident. And they're self-evident because we know them. We recognize them. We see them in our own hearts. We see them in our own minds. One Puritan writer said that this list of vices is a mirror to reveal the corruption of our own hearts. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul reminds us and them and the Galatians that that good works cannot get us into the kingdom of God, but evil deeds done habitually with a hardened heart are evidence that God's life is not being produced in you. Verse 24, all those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That if we continue in these things, stubbornly, steadfastly refusing to repent or to recognize them as sinful, then that's evidence that that the new life of the Spirit isn't producing fruit in you. But this is an active crucifixion that the believer has carried out against his or her own flesh. It says, we have those who belong to Christ have crucified in the past. It's done. And I think we get a sense of the already and not yet nature of these things when we we hold this up, especially to a a passage like Galatians 2.20 just a couple of chapters before where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. There it's passive and past. It's it's been done to me and now it's completed. So on the one hand, the crucifixion that we're to carry out in five 24 is something that I do as a part of my own battle against sin in my own heart. But on the other hand, it's also something that has been done for me by virtue of my union with Christ. And so the outcome that sin in me will ultimately die is guaranteed. That's good news. Dying to sin is accomplished by grace just like everything else in your walk with Jesus. Then when Jesus saved you, you were crucified with Christ. It's something that happened to you. 
And Jesus not only died for your sins, but He put your sinning to death. His cross means death to your flesh. But we often try to take our sin down from the cross, right? Don't try to take your sin down from the cross and then then give it first aid. (laughs) Don't indulge it. When you feel the pull of sin, remember the promise. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Remember that your sin is on the cross. And then, in the next seconds, and in the next minutes, proceed in the power of the Spirit of the risen Savior. That's how we actively fight. That's how we we do the work of crucifying our sin. is by looking to the cross where our sin lies dead. So walking in step with the Spirit means dying to sin. Walking in step with the Spirit also means living to righteousness. Verse 25, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. There's, a, there's an indicative imperative dynamic going on here, right? The, the, the indicative is, the what is true, the indicative, is if you live by the Spirit, in other words, the Spirit is the thing that has made you alive. Or Ephesians 2, starting in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The paraphrase of of verse 25 here is, if the Spirit is the source of our life, then let the Spirit also direct our course. So what we need as we live by the Spirit is we need direction and then we need empowerment. In other words... If you're on a journey, you need a trail and you need some calories to burn, right? Verse 3, chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 3, Paul says, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In salvation, God doesn't make us alive by His Spirit and then expect us to walk in the power of our own flesh that He begins the work of sanctification empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. So that's the indicative. That's the what is true. Let's look at the what to do, the imperative of verse 25. It says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It means that we join His work that is going on in our hearts that we have something to contribute to our growth in grace. That that not only do we do battle against our sin, but we actively pursue maturity and growth in Christ Jesus. Just as the fruit of sin is evidence of the unregenerative heart, the fruit of spiritual life is evidence of the saved heart. The, the apple on the tree is not what gives life to the tree, right? The apple on the tree is evidence of the life in the tree. 
verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's taking all of my self-control not to sing that to you, you know, like we learned in in Sunday school. Against such things there is no law. Paul says, such things, right? In other words, that list isn't exhaustive. There's more fruits of the Spirit that are possible. It's not an exhaustive list, just like the, the list of the vices. That's not a list of every sin that could possibly commit. But it's a list of these, these wonderful evidences and fruit that the Spirit is active and working, like self-sacrificial love. It's, it's this famous word for love in the Greek agape. Right? Romans 5.5, 5, Paul says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the love that enables us to serve one another. Joy that comes from finding our identity in Christ rather than in our circumstances. Peace, this tranquility that comes from being reconciled to God. Patience, this ability to endure hardships, injustice, bearing with the sins of others. People are rarely sanctified in the directions that I want them to be sanctified in. Kindness, the extension of God's grace to the people around us through practical actions of caring. Goodness, faithfulness, this reflection of God's reliability and trustworthiness, self-control, moderation, the ability to regulate. Against such things, Paul says, there is no law. The point of the point is the, the entire life they represent. It, it's tempting to, to look at the fruit of the Spirit as these separate things, but the fruit of the Spirit is one whole life rooted in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Think of them not as different gems, but as different facets of the same gem. It's not a catalog, catalog of rules either. If you think of these as like a how-to guide for the Christian life, you're right back at Pharisaism. Works righteousness. The Spirit works in us to produce this disposition that leads us to godliness. That that there are new want-tos that the Spirit gives you. So what do we do? We walk in step with the Spirit. We actively move toward the Spirit by developing spiritual disciplines, developing holy habits. That because of our identity in Christ, we we are called to to develop disciplines that, that that we don't rely on for God's love and favor, but rather move us along the safe path of obedience to God and His Word in, in working with the Spirit to develop this glittering jewel of godliness in us. We engage. We engage with the ordinary means of grace. There's no, there's no mystery to this. There's no secret methodology involved. But we simply engage with the ordinary means of grace, the, the reading of, the study of, listening to the preaching of God's Word. We, we never stop starting a life of prayer. 
If you're like me, that's the reality. Today, this week, I'm going to start praying regularly. Right? Never stop starting a life of prayer. Engaging and interacting thoughtfully with the sacraments. We were privileged this morning to have both of the sacraments that we celebrate together as a church in our worship service. Baptism and the Lord's Supper here in just a few minutes. Engagement with those sacraments in the church and, and the pictures that they paint and the, the stories that they tell and the faithfulness of God that they draw and call upon us to reflect upon. The reality of God's Spirit using those things in our hearts in a mysterious, supernatural way to nourish us and to equip us and to encourage us. Because keeping in step with the Spirit is more like keeping in step with the Spirit. Oh, I fell down. I got to get back up. I need to repent. The Spirit helps me repent. The Spirit shows me where I need to repent some more. And so the Spirit helps me do that. And then, okay, for a few minutes and for a few hours, I'm back in step with the Spirit. And it's great and I feel good. And surely God's going to reward me and now I just fell down again. That's the way the Christian life goes. The Christian life is a life, Martin Luther famously said, marked by, characterized by, uh, demonstrated by repentance. Walking in step with the Spirit means a life of repentance. Don't hide that. Repent. Be the lead repenter in your home. Let your children see you and hear you repent so that they can understand the safety that is there to acknowledge who we are before our Lord and Savior. They can see and, and be encouraged by the acceptance and the forgiveness that is shown and given. That you preach the Gospel to your children when you repent and acknowledge who you are before them. J.I. Packer said this as we come to the Lord's table this morning. Holiness by habit forming is not self-sanctification by self-effort, but it is simply a matter of understanding the Spirit's method and then keeping in step with Him. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, let's reflect on what, it, what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? What does it mean to walk according to the safe path of God that He has given to us in His Word with the empowerment and the direction of the Holy Spirit?